Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Great to see you guys today. I want to welcome all of you here, whether you're in person or you're watching online. Man, it is so good to come together and worship God. There is so much bad news in the world right now, and we want to pray for people who are suffering in places like Ukraine and and closer to home here. But even with all the bad news, man, it is good to come and celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to that, I just want to thank God for all the great things that have been happening in our week of serving. We kicked this off on Friday, and man, it has already been a lot of fun. We'll keep serving all week through this coming Saturday, April 16th. And in case you haven't heard of this, the week of serving is a time when our church family goes out all over northern Kentucky and up into Cincinnati, and we serve others in the name of Jesus. Uh, As of yesterday, we had over 200 people serving over the course of this week, and I know that number will continue to grow. Uh, On Friday, our kids at the Creek Daycare put together homemade cards uh, to share with local nursing home residents. And if you have ever gotten a homemade card from a preschool kid, you know that's a great gift. Uh, Then yesterday, we had people up in Cincinnati serving with a ministry called So Cincy. Uh, They cleaned up a playground and a park in the neighborhood of Avondale. Uh, Yesterday, we also had people serving with Master Provisions over in Florence. Uh, They packed up clothes that will be sent across the world to help people in need. Uh, One of those groups was our middle school and high school students. They were there uh, into the night last night. Uh, My son Luke was in that group, and they had a great time. And then we have people just doing projects on their own, baking cookies and delivering them to first responders, all kinds of fun stuff. And, and listen, if you haven't yet signed up to serve, there is still time. Uh, you can go to plumcreek.org and see the list of opportunities, but even better, you could go out after service today and in the gathering area, you could sign up for one of these projects and pick up a free t-shirt. We're all wearing these shirts. If you haven't gotten yours yet and you did sign up, you can get that at the Information Center as well. And uh, if you're looking for a good project, uh, we have two that uh, we especially need a couple of people to sign up for. One is Thursday night with a free store food bank. We're sorting food for them. And then Friday morning, we're serving meals at the City Gospel Mission. Uh, and uh, we, we just love to see everybody serving. It's, it's such a good thing. It's a way for us to follow the example of Jesus because he came to serve, and, and that's why we're here. We're here to serve. Now, when it came to Jesus, he was truly the ultimate servant. He served others in all kinds of ways, big and small, but there is nothing else that matches what Jesus did on the cross. When he sacrificed his life, he made it possible for all of us to have eternal life. And for two weeks here, we're going to look at this. We're going to focus on the core of the gospel message, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said, nothing is more important than these two events. Paul's writing to a group of Christians here, and he said this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So these are the things of first importance, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But you know what? If you hang around church for a while, these two events can become kind of commonplace because we talk about them all the time. They become so familiar that we forget what it was like when we first heard about these things. So today, we want to go back and and get a fresh perspective. We want to remember the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And to get that fresh perspective, we're going to look at the crucifixion through the eyes of a criminal. To be specific, we're, we're looking at one of those criminals who was crucified next to Jesus. You might remember this guy. On the, day, on the day Jesus died, this criminal said something remarkable. He's there hanging on the cross. He's, he's breathing his final breath. He only has minutes left to live. And he looks over at Jesus, who is also dying on his own cross. And this criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a remarkable statement. And if you've been here the past few months, there's a key word in this verse that you probably notice right away. It's the word kingdom. That word sticks out because here at Plum Creek, we've set aside 2022 as the year of the kingdom. And we're praying the words that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Now, in case you are new around here and you don't know what this kingdom is about, there's a definition that we've been using for months now. Uh, Some of you probably know it by heart. The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and His reign have truly begun. And wherever God reigns, people are blessed and He is glorified. So we want to see His kingdom grow and expand in this world. And we're asking God to use our church to make a difference for His kingdom. And He's been doing that. The week of serving is one example. But back here in Luke 23... What do you think this criminal meant when he said that? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, it's interesting. This man did know a few things about Jesus, but there was a whole lot he didn't know. For instance, he knew that both he and Jesus were about to die, but he never could have guessed that on the third day, Jesus would rise again and walk out of the tomb. I mean, he was clueless about that. So what did this man know? Well, based on that one sentence, we know that the criminal saw Jesus as the true king over an eternal kingdom. And how do we know that? Well, for one thing, he says, your kingdom. He he sees the kingdom as something that belongs to Jesus, and that would make Jesus the king. But we also know he believed this was an eternal kingdom. And how do we know that? Well, again, Both he and Jesus were about to die, but somehow the criminal knew that death was not an ending. It was a beginning. He believes that Jesus is about to take his place as the king of a kingdom that will not stop at death. It will continue on into eternity. And you know what? This criminal was absolutely right. However, on the day Jesus died, that particular belief would have been very uncommon because the vast majority of Jews in Jerusalem at that time, they didn't think Jesus looked like a king. They thought he looked like a failure. 
And we can understand why, because three years earlier, Jesus showed up making this big announcement. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. And as Jesus started his ministry, that announcement would have seemed very believable because Jesus went around healing people left and right, the blind, the lame, the lepers. He even cast out demons. And then he also preached with a power and an authority that no one had ever seen before. Jesus came full of truth, full of love, and he showed people what it looks like to live as a citizen in God's kingdom. And because of all these things, many Jews came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the one they had been looking for. But then things took a tragic turn. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was mocked. And he was nailed to a Roman cross, and he died a gruesome death. This Jesus did not look like a victorious king. He looked like one more false messiah. But then we've got this criminal. When he looks at Jesus on the cross, he still sees a king. He sees the true king of an eternal kingdom. So how did the majority of people miss that? And How can we make sure we don't miss it today? Well, let's take a few minutes to walk through the story of the crucifixion. We'll draw from all four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we can't cover this story in detail, but we can focus on the elements that relate to Jesus as the king of the kingdom. So let's pick up where we left off at last week's sermon. Last Sunday, we left Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? In the garden, Jesus knew. He knew what he had to do. He had a mission that came from his heavenly Father. His mission was to suffer and die, to save people from their sins. And uh, the human side of that, the human side of Jesus, he he just didn't want to do it. It, it, It's just natural. He didn't want to go through that pain. He didn't want to die. But finally, he prayed that prayer of surrender. He said, not my will, Lord, your will be done. Shortly after that prayer, Jesus was arrested. That happened around midnight. And Jesus spent the next several hours on trial. He was interrogated and accused and convicted by the Jewish religious leaders. And that trial went on literally all night. And early in the morning, he was taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, Pilate, he didn't want to deal with Jesus. This was just another controversy among the Jews, and he didn't want to get involved. But after some bureaucratic back and forth, Pilate got exasperated. And in Mark chapter 15, he said, What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And the people shouted, crucify him. Okay, we just stumbled onto something here. Pilate said that people were calling Jesus the king of the Jews. Now, was that happening? Was was anyone really calling Jesus a king? Well, I mentioned this last week. Just a few days earlier, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That was called Palm Sunday, and today actually is Palm Sunday, the day we remember that event. 
And on that day, crowds of people cheered Jesus as he rode past. They shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. And that was a loaded statement. Hosanna was a word that meant save us. And that title, Son of David, that refers to an Old Testament prophecy. The prophet said that one day the Messiah would come. And this Messiah would be a great king. He'd he'd come from the family line of David. And Jesus seemed to fit the bill. So as the crowds in Jerusalem shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, they're pretty much saying, the king has come. The king has come. And in that way, Pilate was right. People had been referring to Jesus as the king of the Jews. But then you had those Jewish religious leaders. They didn't even want to consider the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah because that didn't fit into their self-centered plans and agenda. So they wanted Jesus to be eliminated, crucified, actually. Uh, Then Pilate said, why? What crime has he committed? But the people weren't interested in having a conversation. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, Pilate is an outsider. He he sees no good reason to execute this man. Pilate wants to set Jesus free, but he also feels trapped. And so, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Now, Barabbas was a real criminal. He was a bad guy. And Pilate releases the bad guy and punishes the good guy. Uh, He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And so the torture began. And it didn't begin at the cross. It it started with Jesus being flogged. And I won't go into detail here, but I'll just say a Roman flogging was horrific. It went far beyond a normal whipping or beating. It was absolutely brutal. In fact, about six out of ten times, flogging alone was enough to kill the victim. But Jesus survived that, and then the Roman soldiers, they they launched into a different type of suffering. They put a purple robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! The soldiers turned this torture into a game. And for them, it wasn't enough to see Jesus in physical pain. They wanted to see him in emotional pain. And for them, this Jesus, King of the Jews, it was all a big joke. So they held a mock coronation. One soldier found a thorny branch, and they wove it into something like a crown. And the soldiers pushed that crown of thorns into Jesus' head, which, of course, brought a new level of suffering. And it caused blood to run into his hair, down into his eyes and his ears. But they weren't finished mocking him. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. The Roman soldiers must have thought it was hilarious to see this king brought so low. They wanted to keep the mock coronation going, but eventually they had to follow orders. They sent Jesus to the cross. Switching over to 
the Gospel of Luke, we read this. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. So did you notice, our criminal has arrived in the story, but John doesn't say much about him. He says, there they crucified him, and with him two others. That's That's all John says. We'll go to the Gospel of Luke to hear more about these criminals. But before we do that, John gives us another detail about Pilate. He says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Now, this is interesting. Pilate was beyond frustrated with the Jews at this point, and so he posted this sign as a way to get under their skin. But the irony is the sign was completely accurate. Jesus is the king of the Jews. More to the point, he's the king of all kings. As you might expect, this sign drove the religious leaders crazy. The the chief priests of the Jews They protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So the declaration stood in three languages, no less, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. Now, Aramaic was the local language of Palestine. Greek was the universal language of that time. And Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. So any literate person would have understood what the sign said. But did anyone understand the truth of that title? That Jesus really was the true king? Well, let's go back to our criminal. The Gospel of Luke tells his part of the story. Luke says, chapter 23, verse 32, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, this would have been an excruciating death for anyone, but I can't imagine the pain that Jesus felt at this point. He had already been flogged. He had been mocked. And now he had nails driven through his hands and his feet. And his mind and body would have been screaming for relief. But the pain continued. Not just physical pain, but emotional pain as well. Because Jesus was subjected to utter humiliation. Just like any victim of a Roman crucifixion, Jesus would have been stripped naked. He was literally exposed to the world. Can you imagine that? Then he had the the humiliation of being treated like a criminal, which, of course, was the furthest thing from the truth. And Jesus had the power to stop the pain and end this torture at any moment, but he allowed it to continue. And by doing that, he made himself look weak. And so he opened himself to more ridicule. Even one of those criminals joined in. Luke says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us while you're at it. 
Now, we need a way to differentiate between these two men who were crucified with Jesus. So we'll call this one criminal number one. And criminal one made up his mind about Jesus. He saw him as a false messiah. And he was actually like a lot of the Jews. Many of the Jews expected a messiah who would have an amazing political and military power. They, they expected a Messiah who would lead a revolution against Rome, free the people of Israel from oppression, and then set up an earthly kingdom and rule. Here in this verse, criminal number one represents the many people who saw Jesus as a miserable failure. But then, criminal number two. Let's read on. The other criminal rebuked Criminal number one, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So criminal number two saw Jesus as an innocent man who was being punished unfairly. And instead of mocking Jesus, he showed respect. But it's interesting, as I read through the different gospel accounts this week, I noticed something surprising. Criminal number two did not start out with a respectful attitude towards Jesus. Look over at Matthew 27, 44. That verse says, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him. That's plural, not singular. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So it wasn't just one criminal who mocked and insulted Jesus. It was both. So what happened there? What caused criminal number two to change his tune? We don't know exactly. None of the four Gospels tell us that part of the story. But maybe criminal two noticed that there was something different about Jesus. Because, you know, he... He was responding to this unfair torture in a very unexpected way. He said crazy things like, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Why would an innocent man pray for his tormentors to be forgiven? Maybe this criminal saw that and it had an impact on him. Or could it be that sometime in the past, this criminal had some encounter with Jesus. He, he, he heard Jesus preach or saw him work a miracle. And in this moment, everything just clicked. I don't know. Uh, this is all speculation. We don't know what happened to change this criminal's mind and his heart. What we do know is that he eventually decided that Jesus was a man like no one else. And that takes us back to the verse that I read in the beginning. Luke 23, 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know, this is not a desperate man grasping at straws. This is a powerful statement of faith. This man came to the conclusion that Jesus is the true king of an eternal kingdom. And because of that conviction, he placed his life and his future into Jesus' hands. He threw himself completely at the mercy of Jesus. And that was the best decision he ever made. We see that in the next verse. Because Jesus responded with an amazing promise. 
Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How awesome is that? Let's think about that promise for a second. First, the word today. The the criminal didn't have to wait years or centuries or millennia. He would enter paradise that very day. And then look at those next three words. You will be. Jesus didn't say you might be. He he didn't say, well, let's see what happens. No, Jesus says this fact is certain. You will be with me in paradise. And that word paradise, uh, it, it describes a place of great beauty, uh, great happiness. But the best part of this paradise, it's not the scenery. It's that you get to be with Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine what it was like to hear that promise directly from Jesus. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus speak those words to you? You know, it seems kind of strange to say, but I'm a little jealous of this criminal. Because sure, he, he lived a sad life here on earth, and he suffered an agonizing and humiliating death. But Jesus gave him the hope that we're all looking for. Jesus gave him a promise, and that promise wouldn't be broken. But you know what? We don't have to be jealous. Because this good news is available to all of us. That same hope and that same promise, it's available to us. In the end, there are only two kinds of people in the world. You are either like criminal number one or criminal number two. And unfortunately, there's no third option where you're not a criminal because we've all sinned against God. We all broke His laws, rules, commandments, and our sin separated us from God, and we all deserve death. But what's the difference between those two criminals who were crucified next to Jesus? Well, criminal number two, he turned to Jesus in faith. He honored Jesus as king. And how did Jesus respond? You know, he he didn't say, fat chance, buddy. You are nowhere good, nowhere near good enough to spend eternity with me. No, Jesus gave him that promise of paradise, which was only possible because Jesus was in the process of paying for that criminal's sins. That's what we see in Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died For the ungodly, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible. And this is why we can't think of the crucifixion as some past event that has no relevance for us today. No, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can be saved from sin and death and the kingdom of darkness. It's the greatest sacrifice that anyone ever made for you. It's the greatest love that anyone has ever shown you. It's the good news of the gospel. 
And the good news of the gospel is that the sacrifice of Jesus, it applies to every person who ever lived throughout history. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus offers this gift of salvation to everyone, everywhere. But I do have to share some difficult news. You know, along with the good news, there's also bad news. The bad news is not everyone has received that gift. Not everyone has chosen to put their faith in Jesus, to repent and turn away from their sin, to confess Him as Lord and Savior. Not everyone has chosen to be baptized into Christ and live a new life where He is your King. You're not ruling your own life anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that followers of Christ have to be perfect. We all depend on God's grace for the rest of our time here on earth. But let's be very clear. Until you receive the promise that Jesus offers, the gift that He offers, you don't have this hope of spending eternity in paradise with Jesus. You're not free from the power of sin and death and the kingdom of darkness. However, you can receive that gift. It's available to anyone. And when you do, your story is just beginning. Because you see, Jesus not only saves you from something, He saves you for something. It is true that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we're saved from sin and death and darkness. But there's another side here. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we're saved for God and for His kingdom. Listen, it's great that God rescues us from our enemies. We're so thankful for that. But He doesn't want us to just sit around and wait for heaven. He wants us to get busy to do the work of His kingdom. He wants us to spread His love and His truth and His mercy and His grace out into this broken world. And when we allow God to use us like that, He he frees us up to live out our purpose in life, which is to bring God glory. We see that in Romans chapter 15 where Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So do you see what that means? Jesus came here as the ultimate servant and He fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah and then He accomplished His mission. He laid down His life and He took our sin on His shoulders. And yes, He did these things to save us, but from an even greater perspective, Jesus did these things to bring God glory. That's the meaning of these verses. Jesus came as a servant not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. He frees us up to live out our God-given purpose. Because you and I were created to bring glory to God. That's why we exist. You know, we will never be satisfied or fulfilled until we are worshiping God in heaven. Life is empty without that. So for all of us who follow Jesus... For all of us who have found this freedom in Christ and received this gift and this promise, how how do we let God use us to advance His kingdom and bring Him glory? Well, one of the best things we can do 
is to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Help others find hope in Him. And one simple way to do that is to just show the love of Christ in practical ways. That's what the week of serving is about. We're meeting practical needs in our community because we want to give people a tangible demonstration of God's love. We want to point others to Jesus by our actions. However, there will be times when we have to use words because at some point, people need to hear the message of the gospel. And as a church, we need to take that message wherever we go, to our friends and our family, our neighbors and our co-workers. But along with going and telling, we can also invite people to come and hear. We can invite people to church. You know, bring them to an environment where they're going to hear about Jesus. This coming week is a great time to do that. On Saturday, we're hosting a family event called Easter Jam. It's happening Saturday morning at 11 a.m. It's going to be super fun. But think about this. Pray about this. Who could you invite to that event? This might be a great first step for a family that you know. Now, that's Saturday, but let's not forget about Sunday, Easter morning. Easter is always one of the biggest inviting opportunities of the year. And this year is no different. We've got invite cards that you can pick up on the tables on your way out. Uh, You can invite people on social media. You can just go to people you know and say, hey, come join us. And while we're on that subject, I want to give you a heads up. In next week's Easter sermon, I'm going to speak directly to people who have doubts about the Bible, doubts about Christianity, And I'm confident that we all know people who are skeptical right now. And we want to help them work through those doubts. Because this is just what we do as followers of Christ. We share the good news of the gospel because we want people to find what we've found. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. It's just too good. Like I said earlier, the sacrifice of Jesus, that's the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you. It's the greatest love that anyone has ever shown to you. When somebody loves you like that, it only makes sense to love that person in return. It only makes sense to to live a life of continual gratitude. In just a moment, we're going to take time to observe the Lord's Supper or communion. And this is a, a practice that Jesus established The Apostle Paul wrote a great summary of this practice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He wrote, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here at Plum Creek, we continue to do this every Sunday. We eat the bread and we drink from the cup as a way to remember Jesus and show our gratitude. And we will proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Now, we're going to do this a little differently today. We're all going to eat and drink at the same time together. And before we do that, we'll spend a few moments in prayer, meditating on the cross. 
It's going to be a verse here on the screen. And, and read through this verse and thank Jesus for what he's done. And then we'll take communion together. Let's take a moment to pray. himself bore our sins in his body. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's take the bread that represents the body of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. Let's drink from the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. Father, we can read through the story in your word, but we still can't truly grasp just what Jesus has done for us. The sacrifice, the pain, and the love. But we thank you for that. We thank you for the freedom from sin and death and the kingdom of darkness. We thank you for saving us for you for your kingdom. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.